Chattahoochee, copyright 2023, by Randy Cooper. All rights reserved. No parts of this podcast may be used or reproduced by any means without the expressed written permission of the author. Chattahoochee, Chapter 21. Mike looked over at Frank. They still going at it? Mike chuckled. He said, he has given that girl the time of her life. Mike was continuing to scan while Frank was maintaining surveillance on the only subject vehicle in the parking lot. If her dad was only here watching this with us, right? Yeah, right. Okay, man. The next one's mine. Watch them be dopers. Hey, don't blame me. Sometimes a guy just gets lucky. This guy here sure is. They looked at each other as they heard a soft hum. Mike thought the source location was from above, a small plane perhaps. Frank felt it emanated from ground level, but with the echo off the face of the dam and off of the face of the cliffs, he couldn't tell if it was one source or multiple sources, much less the direction it came from. Silently, they scanned their position but saw nothing as the hum continued to increase in volume. It seemed as if it got louder, the more it echoed, and locating the source became even more elusive. Suddenly, the sound stopped. The night was filled with silence. Both men frantically began panning their NVGs back and forth, attempting to detect movement. They heard a splash that definitely came from behind them. It was then that Frank saw them. He observed two people getting out of a small raft on the far side of the river at the five o'clock position behind them. He could clearly see that one of the individual's hands was tied behind their back and the other individual was assisting the first out of the raft and they disappeared behind the underbrush. Quietly, they looked at each other and nodded. Frank reached for his Motorola radio, which had a secure channel that scrambled the data digitally. It was virtually impossible for civilians to eavesdrop on their radio transmissions. In a whisper, he called, O.P. Charlie to Big Dog. Big Dog was the radio call sign for the SWAT commander. Big Dog, go ahead, came the reply through the earplugs each wore. O.P. Charlie is hot. Repeat, O.P. Charlie is hot. 10-4, O.P. Charlie, we have you as hot. Silence once again returned to the site designated as O.P. Charlie as they shifted their position slightly and the spotter sniper team went on full alert. My phone rang just after 1.30 a.m. It was the SWAT team commander. A subject had been spotted at Morgan Falls. We were right across the street and we were on location in two minutes. During that two minutes, there was a flurry of brief exchanges between Big Dog and O.P. Charlie. We were able to ascertain the approximate location of the suspect and the fact it appeared that we're limited to one suspect and one hostage. Lieutenant DiNapoli was rolling on this one as well. Every uniform in our precinct was called to form a perimeter, as coordinated by the watch commander and the SWAT team commander. The hostage negotiation team, specially trained by the FBI in Quantico, Virginia, was called in. Two ambulances were en route and a police helicopter had just taken off from Atlanta and was headed our way. Tyra and I were the first ones on the scene. I must have been doing 60 miles an hour through the parking lot, and as I passed a Grand Am with one naked foot sticking out of a window, it seems as if they were shocked by my car going by. 
I couldn't imagine what their reaction was going to be when half the police force showed up in just a few minutes. There was about 50 yards from where the parking lot ended and the trail began. I'd last been here at least 25 years ago. The Chattahoochee raft race that started here used to be an annual event during the more permissive 60s and early 70s that signaled the beginning of summer with throngs of drunk, stoned, and half-naked people, some more than half, attempting to navigate this slow section of river. The only racing that went on was to see who could get drunk the fastest. The 50 yards of open field was no match for my Impala. I was confident I blew both tires when I hit the curb head-on that denoted the end of the parking lot. My teeth slammed together when I hit the curb and I knew Tyra was grateful she was a regular user of seatbelts. I was grateful the tired wreck of an Impala I was driving didn't deploy the airbags. What I didn't count on was the sudden loss of traction on the dew-soaked weeds that was the poor imitation for grass. I maneuvered sideways, then Tyra and I bumped heads as we hit the embankment. I jumped out, but Tyra's door was flush against the dirt, and she struggled to get across the seat and out on my side. By the time she accomplished that, I was already over the embankment and ready to tackle the next obstacle, which was a 10-inch black pipe that served no other purpose that I knew of other than to bridge the 12-foot deep culvert it crossed. I was glad I had worn my rock ports versus my dress shoes, but I was already sweating through my dockers and Oxford shirt. Tyra had on a pantsuit, which I knew would be ruined before this one was over. I ran up the pipe in three giant leaps, and I could only imagine how bad the family jewels would have been damaged if I had slipped. My lungs were burning as I ran up the trail, which was mostly wet rocks covered with moss and loose dirt. I knew I was gaining in elevation when I turned around to look back at the parking lot and saw it was full of patrol cars and their flashing blue lights that made it look like some kind of cop disco. I saw another unmarked part right near where I popped the curb and recognized it as belonging to Lieutenant DiNapoli. I turned around and I heard her for the first time screaming. I also heard her saying something, but I was too far away to make it out. The way her scream echoed down the river was haunting, but I had hope. She was still alive. It just inspired me to push on. I was nearing exhaustion already and felt that tomorrow I could skip my 20 minutes of jumping jacks without one iota of guilt. The path became steeper and more slippery as I approached the top. When I broke free of the brush surrounding the end of the trail, it became surreal. There was a clearing in the moonlight, shone as strong as the sun. By the edge of the cliff, separated only by a grove of bushes, a man was holding a naked woman. I saw her clothes lying in a pile next to them, and it appeared as if they were lovers. He was facing her, holding her by the biceps, and it looked as if he were whispering sweet nothings in her ear. He was dressed in black cargo pants with combat boots, very much like what our SWAT team was wearing. He had a black hooded sweatshirt, and his hood was up. I was looking at them from the side, and I couldn't see his face. She saw me before he did. And when he saw her looking in my direction, he looked at me, and that was when I pulled my Glock 9mm.
I came to rest in the stand talked to us at the police academy with your non-gun hand under the butt of your pistol. Police, let her go. By the time I finished that statement, he had her in front of him, using her as a human shield, and he was holding her by the forehead. In his right hand was a knife held to her throat. In my mind, I was blinded by a flash of light, and in that flash, I saw the same image from my dream, and then I was suddenly back to reality. You can't escape. We have the area surrounded. Damn, I can't see his face. What I could see was the pale, white, naked body of the girl he held in front of him. Please, please help me, she begged me. Another flash blinded me and shook my body, and for an instant I saw another sequence of the dream I'd had. I shook my head as if that would deter further attacks into my psyche. Put the gun down, and I'll let her go. His voice was cold, unyielding, uncaring, with no room for negotiation. There is one thing that a police officer is trained never to do. You never, ever surrender your weapon. Whatever the outcome, I had my gun trained on him and I wasn't moving. I brought my gun up and sighted my weapon. No, you drop that weapon and let the girl go. There was silence. I heard sirens in the distance and shouts of people coming up the trail behind me. And suddenly the police helicopter came from downstream. Get that motherfucker out of here, he ordered. He had no sooner said that than the helicopter rose above the river and its spotlight burned on us at a 45-degree angle. I was surprised I could feel the heat of its spotlight so far away. The thump-thump-thump of the rotors was shaking the ground, and the wind from the downblast was blowing the bushes all around. Our hair was flying, and loose dirt filled the air like a dust storm. Get it out of here, or I'll kill her right now. My mind flashed into the sequence from my dream when night became day and my skin was burned by the sun during a sandstorm. What the hell? I wanted to get rid of the damn thing just as bad as he did. I called over the radio. This is Detective Dvorak. Get that helicopter out of here. It took about ten seconds, but the helicopter left. I was still trying to blink the dirt and tears out of my eyes when I noticed the hood had fallen down. It was Todd Cravens. Todd, put the knife down. Don't hurt that girl. Let her go. Fuck you, fuck her, fuck everybody. I'm fucked anyway. We were circling now, each of us engaged in a choreographed dance. I would move to my left, he would move to his left. The trailhead was to my right, and that's when I saw Tyra and Lieutenant DiNapoli appear, coming closer with their weapons drawn on Cravens. Tell them to get back! Tell them to back up! I took my non-gun hand and pushed my palm towards them, motioning them backwards. They retreated walking backwards, guns still trained on Cravens, till they were off the edge of the clearing and back of the trailhead. Todd, you're not fucked, okay? There's extenuating circumstances. I know what happened. He looked at me like I was the one that was crazy. What do you mean? I know about Father Donovan. I know what he did to you. He was silent. Just then the girl screamed at me. Help me. Help me. Please help me. He couldn't say anything, but I could see the rage inside of him, and it was just terrifying. 
I know all about it. I know why you did what you did. He looked totally off base. I know why they're naked. Silence. His eyes were glazed over. That's what he did to you. He made you strip totally naked. He said nothing. Isn't that right, Todd? It was shameful and degrading, wasn't it? I heard Tyra and the LT yelling at me to leave him alone. Todd, isn't that right? I shouted even louder. Yes! He screamed out. Yes! Behind me, Tyra and DiNapoli kept screaming for me to stop and wait for the hostage negotiation team that they would be here soon. I wasn't going to wait for anything. Todd, I know why you didn't have sex with them. He said nothing, but the girl whimpered loudly. You couldn't have sex with them, could you, Todd? I was yelling now. I could clearly hear D Lieutenant DiNapoli. Dvorak! This is a direct order. Stop what you's doing and stand down. Back off, Dvorak, now! No way, LT. Todd, you couldn't have sex with them, could you? Tears began to well up in his eyes. Why couldn't you, Todd? I was screaming at the top of my lungs. He let out a wail that was like the howl of an animal. Tyra and Lieutenant DiNapoli were joined by others, all yelling at me to stop now. When the howl came to an end, I walked closer to him, and I lowered my gun to my side. I was within six feet of him now. You couldn't, Todd, because you were impotent. I saw the tears stream down his face as he nodded his head. It should have never happened. I'm Catholic too, Todd. I went to the same parish, St. Jude's. I saw the look of recognition in his eyes. Do you believe in the Virgin Mary, Todd? The screaming behind me was getting louder, so I upped my volume and I repeated this time, yelling, Do you believe in the Blessed Virgin? He nodded, still crying. Do you pray the rosary, Todd? No reaction. There's just too damn much yelling in the background. As loud as I could, I said, Do you pray the rosary? With my left hand, I reached into my pocket and I pulled out my rosary, holding it up eye level, and I watched the crucifix twirl in the moonlight. Let's pray the rosary together, Todd, okay? I turned around and glared for everybody to shut up. They caught on and everyone stopped yelling and it turned deathly quiet. My brain flashed the sequence from the dream when I could hear the birds singing. I called to him quieter now, still holding the rosary up to where he could see it. Let's pray the rosary. He nodded, and I tossed the rosary to him in a high arcing throw. As he looked up, following its silvery twinkling path, I brought my weapon up and shot him. The noise from that single shot nearly burst my eardrums, and it broke the silence scrambling out of the clearing and down the river. Things went into slow motion then. The bullet entered near his right collarbone, and a cloud of pink mist came out of his back. The girl dropped to the ground and crawled towards me on her hands and knees. I ran past her towards Craven, my gun still trained on him. His eyes were wide open, looking up at the night sky. Blood was pouring out of his wound, and his chest was rising and falling in huge waves as he struggled to breathe. The knife was on the ground, and I kicked it further away from him. He apparently had dropped it to catch the rosary, which he was still grasping tightly in his right hand.
I holstered my weapon and I grabbed his right hand with both of mine and held his hand near my chest. His eyes moved to look at me and he smiled. Let's say an act of contrition. He squeezed my hand and as I began, Oh my God, I am heartily sorry for having offended thee and I detest all my sins because I dread the loss of heaven and the pains of hell but most of all because they offend thee my God who art all good and deserving of all my love I firmly resolve with the help of thy grace to confess my sins to do penance and to amend my life Amen So Craig Patricia began I understand congratulations are in order well some people think so what do you think I think whenever a man loses his life it's hard to find anything to be congratulated for even if that man was responsible for taking innocent lives yes I would venture to guess the victims families may disagree with you I'm sure that's on them good answer Craig that shows a high level of conviction of your own beliefs and values independent thinking and not being dependent on pleasing others tell me how you feel about taking another man's life it was necessary I had to take his life in order to save Miss Forrester's have you had any bad dreams as the result of this incident no I've been sleeping quite well wonderful how have you been doing on your recurring objectives I've fulfilled all my commitments to myself marvelous how was your time with Timothy it was fantastic we picked up right where we left off I can't wait until next weekend that's great how about your spiritual life I felt my rosary in my pocket I've been praying daily and I went to mass and confession on Sunday do you feel better about this area of your life now very much so let's talk about your occupational life the principal reason you came to see me that was one area you listed as a cause of great concern do you still feel that way no I'm good super I'm glad what's changed to make you feel that way well things are different now what things Craig well I used to look at my job as a cross to bear but now I see it as a special gift how so well it takes a special person to do this job I believe I've been blessed with the unique qualities that make me ideally suited for this line of work it's not a fun job rather it's a difficult one and sometimes very unpleasant I deal with determining the person or persons that killed another human being often I have to deliver tragic news but I strive to do so with respect, caring, and compassion. Most of all, I confront my own humanity and my own mortality. I am forced to view my own limitations and inadequacies. It can sometimes be disappointing. I have to just try to do the best job I can and accept the outcome. I'm not a cape crusader. I'm a human being. I'm comfortable where I am today and who I am today. Well, Craig, you've made a lot of progress in a few weeks' time. Yes, thank you. I think we'll forego our Thursday sessions from now on. She paused and I remained silent. 
She was looking at me, waiting for a reaction. I was looking at her cleavage, waiting for a button to pop. I look forward to seeing you at our regular time on Monday then, Craig. I'm looking forward to it also, Patricia.